Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Jeremy. And we are here today to talk about X-Men number 13, the September 1965 issue! The most unlucky X-Men issue ever. Indeed. We should have recorded it on a Friday the 13th. Oh man, I think we would have been waiting a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> this one is Where Walks the Juggernaut, the second enthralling part of this two-part juggernaut of a series. <laughs> if you recall last issue, we ended up with the juggernaut uh, getting through all of the X-Men's defenses and encountering Professor X, mano a mano, after knocking the X-Men to the floor. Yes, and it's going to be an exciting showdown between the professor and the muscle-bound juggernaut. I just know it. Oh, 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 wow. <laughs> yes, we are written still by Smiling Stan Lee, laid out by Jack Kirby, penciled by Jay Gavin, and inked by, ooh, a new inker, Joe Sinat. And Swingin' Sam Rosen is still with us with the lettering. Hey, he's... He's swinging, and uh, and he gets more better credit than the penciler and the inker. That's true. Uh, I think he must have complained at the uh, at the company picnic <laughs> or something. Of the penciler, the inker, and the letterer, he has been there the longest. Well, it's just him and him and uh, Stan are like, kind of like the mainstays here. Well, you still got Jack Kirby doing your layouts. What does that actually mean, though? The layouts is he just drawing the panels and saying, "Okay, this is how I want you to do it." Now draw. Yeah, I think I think he does like little sketches to say this is where the juggernaut will stand. This is going to be an extreme close up of his ass, and we see Professor X through his legs. <laughs> yes, uh, and the uh, juggernaut is very wide. Yes. So, as you'll recall, he uh, we learned that the backstory of the juggernaut is that he fell into the temple of Sitorak, Sitorak, or whatever in was it Korea. Yes. He gained the the strength of the juggernaut, and now he's angry at the professor because he was buried underneath rubble and had years to think about this travesty. Yeah, even though it was really, the professor had nothing to do with his accidental demise, or not quite demise. Yeah. So anyways, uh, there he is, the professor sitting underneath the juggernaut's legs saying, this is the moment I've dreaded for years. And really, if you're underneath the juggernaut like that, you're probably going <laughs> to dread the next thing that's going to happen anyways. <laughs> So we move on to page two, and I just want to point out that I don't know what the heck is going on in this panel, because the perspective is so wacky, <laughs> and I want to talk about if this is Jack Kirby's layouts and the other guy drawing, they should fire one of the two, because <laughs> I, I get it that if we look at the juggernaut's perspective, he's probably standing straight up and down, so then I don't know what the professor is doing. Is he on his side? No, it's it's like a top-down view. I understand what it is. It's like a three-quarters view or whatever. So What makes the perspective really weird is the fact that Iceman looks really tiny and Beast looks a little bit larger than him. So Beastman, or Be Beastman, Beast looks like he's, if he wasn't so close to that wall, he would actually look like he's hurling through the air right now. Yeah. Uh, Cyclops looks like he's climbing up the wall, even though it's the floor, but it looks like from the perspective he's climbing up the wall. Uh, Marvel Girl looks like maybe she's toppling over, but I think that she's supposed to actually be on the floor. Yeah, she's on the floor, but she looks like she's standing on top of Professor X. I know, it's just it's just very weird. Weirdly drawn. Well, you know, trying something new, breaking some new ground, failing miserably. It happens. Uh, yep, and so we move on to uh, the Juggernaut. Now, this is a section that I want to add to the show. Uh, it won't be a reoccurring section, but it'll be things that we will address, hopefully, as they come up. We learn that the Juggernaut has this radiant 
power aura. Which I was going to ask you about. <laughs> He's read a lot of X-Men comics, and uh, he doesn't utilize or seem to have this power later on in the Marvel Universe. So I'm wondering, as in Magneto's mental powers, if we will get to the issue uh, in which he loses these abilities. It's call it the parking lot of powers or something like that, where we have to, you know, we have to come back and like, oh yeah, this is remember. Okay, so that's log that. Put a little asterisk in there. Ding. <laughs> so yeah, he uses his nice little aura power to launch Professor X across the room, apparently, which is kind of neat. I like this panel. Yeah, he's not even touching him. I I don't actually like this panel. I mean, I get what's happening, but the Juggernaut basically looks like a giant beetle. Well, that's what the Juggernaut looks like. Yeah, if you study some of the 80s and 90s uh, Juggernaut, he's more muscularly sculpted, and in here he just looks like a beetle or a tick. Big round body, a couple of arms sticking out, legs. He looks like a tick. I'm going to call him Tick Man from now on. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. So anyways, I am not a fan of how he's rendered in this comic book. This is what happens. It's evolution, my friend. I'm with you. I'm with you. He changes later for the better. It's a very, very simple coloring scheme to red, brown, brownish red. I like the color, and the colors do stay, so, you know, I don't know. Does the red band stay? Uh, around his waist, yes. Yes, yeah. that does. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the professor threatens the juggernaut with his supreme weapon, which the juggernaut doesn't believe. It turns out that it's his mutant brain. He blasts him with a some sort of mental energy, which is probably like, super mind wipe! So my question then is, he says, oh, ha, ha, you fail, the Crimson Bands of Satorak. Now, I have always assumed that the Crimson Bands of Satorak are the bands around his arms. Uh, oh. That's what I had assumed, and, and, you know, maybe that's completely, his arms and his hands, because he's got th six, a total of six bands around his arms. Right. Uh, but then it goes on to say that it gave him his psionic helmet, capable of protecting him from any mental attack. So, is this suit also part of the bands of Sidorak? I mean, or did he make this suit, or what's going on here? I was under the impression that the bands of Sidorak were kind of abstract, that that's what he had discovered in the cave in Korea, and that gave him this suit. But I like your I like your idea better, actually. <laughs> but so your idea makes this whole thing work. My idea asks the question: Then where the hell did the helmet and the vest and the boots come from? Did he make that? I mean, you can see rivets and stuff where the helmet is. So it looks like it was manufactured by a a human, and it wasn't like a mystical. Well, it's the crimson helmet of Sidorak. <laughs> well, and those are his crimson shorts of Sidorak and his <laughs> crimson boots of Sidorak. All right, <laughs> he's got a whole crimson suit of Sidorak. All right, so they execute a plan in which Jean Grey lifts this huge man up into the air. So we have to assume that she has gotten a lot better with her powers because she couldn't do this before. Yeah, she keeps going back and forth in the amount of strength that she has. And to be fair, she drops him and her head aches after she drops him. She drops him into a hole that Cyclops blasts into the floor. Which is really impressive. It's a pretty deep hole. And it's straight down. There's no angle yeah. and it's, it's well carved. I mean, there's not like a whole bunch of debris and stuff. The hole is wide enough that the juggernaut fits through it, and probably two juggernauts could fit in it side by side. I'm going to say that you could probably tie three juggernauts together and put them down that hole with ease. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Iceman starts dropping some chunks down there. <laughs> well, I gotta do something. I'm gonna throw these ice chunks on his head. We just saw him crash through a uh, a wall and get attacked by missiles last issue. Maybe these maybe these uh, ice rocks will hurt him. <laughs> Professor X makes Angel pick him up and fly him off to the. No, wait. Why does? <laughs> I don't know what happens here. The Cyclops. Okay. Professor X fell out of his chair, so right. Angel is writing him. And so we get another travel montage to the halls of the school. These are one of my favorite things that we see. I do like this panel because Jean Grey is not pushing the wheelchair. She is telekinetically pushing the wheelchair. And that makes sense. Look, if I had telekinetic powers, I would be pushing everything with my mind. I would never touch anything again. It's neat. So we, we get an introduction here to uh, the professor says, go get the, all the component parts of my new Mento helmet, which I can only assume is like a breath freshening helmet of some sort. <laughs> it makes his mind fresh. Oh, sure, sure, sure. It's a mind freshener. Which I don't understand. So you and Iceman bring me all the component parts of my Mento helmet, which you can find. Because it was that six professor or eight or you want nine parts? The professor's been planning a scavenger hunt for the X-Men. So they're like, they're all around the mansion. (laughs) They're finding notes in the dryer. I am where you would hide the Christmas ornaments. (laughs) Quick to the attic. Uh, Yeah. So anyways, uh, they bring him whatever component parts they can find to his Mento machine. It looks like there's a lot of components. There's a lot of them. Yeah. So uh, kudos to the X-Men for completing that scavenger hunt so quickly and efficiently. He explains that the device is to uh, intensify his mental powers. Let's not forget all of this because as I was reading, I (laughs) I think I did forget about it and I don't know if it ever comes back. So he intensifies his brain. He's he's basically charging his brain. Yeah. He's like a, like a big battery or something. He needs more time to charge his brain even more so that he could withstand the power of the juggernaut. So the X-Men essentially have to stall juggernaut while he's waiting. And then there's this weird panel where he has all this excess energy and he needs to shoot it out into the air. I have that trouble a lot. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He overcharges himself and shoots his wad across the city. I don't know why. I don't understand what this whole thing is about. Maybe they just needed to fill a panel. Well, no, because it comes into play. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, it does. You're right. I'll send mental waves out over the heart of the city. Releasing them will act like a safety valve to me. To that mean, it just means like, okay, I'm just going to keep charging and charging and charging, and whatever I can't use, I'm going to shoot over the city. As I read that, it doesn't seem like there's a plan for these waves. It's just like, it's like a dam. That's the dam part of it. Like, I'm going to keep as much as I can. Whatever I can't use, I'm going to shoot over the city. Which is an interesting concept. (laughs) All right. We move on to the juggernaut now at the bottom of the hole. He starts smashing footholes and handholds into the wall so that he can climb up. These are the weirdest looking footholds (laughs) and handholds I've ever seen. They look look really deep. Yeah. And look at panel two there. I mean... He looks like he's been eating quite a few donuts or maybe had a couple too many beers. I mean, you don't typically see too many supervillains with a big old, uh, you know, beer gut like this guy's got. Unless he's the blob, but then... It's all muscle, man. Oh, sure. He he just exercised, like, sticking his stomach out, so the muscle just goes outward. He kind of looks like a really muscular baby. I don't know, man. He looks like a muscular tick. Especially in the third panel where he's climbing up the uh, walls. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, you're right. So he's coming, and uh, Cyclops and the Angel, they're worried. Cyclops starts blasting his laser, his force beam down into the hole to try and keep Juggernaut down in the hole, I guess. 
Cyclops is essentially blinding himself, so Juggernaut climbs underneath Cyclops. Well, digs a hole underneath Cyclops. Right. Yeah. With his amazing digging ability, <laughs> which he suddenly did. <laughs> well, he's glowing, too, so maybe he's just using that little force-repellent aura ability of his to just yeah. to knock the dirt out of his way. He's actually it's a not combination doing of that, and he's punching the ground. There you go. <laughs> And then he comes up through the ground. Yep, Cyclops realizes a little too late that he's right underneath them. No beauty teenagers can trap the Juggernaut. Juggernaut attempts to mount Cyclops. Yep. And uh, Cyclops <laughs> is underneath him, just blasting away, hoping that, I don't know, something will happen. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, Angel is also kind of watching this and sees that even though Cyclops is giving him the full strength of his force beam and that's not doing anything, he decides to go in and punch him in his kidney. <laughs> and it's just like hitting a wall. Yeah, which I would have to imagine would have just broken his right hand. Yeah, have you ever hit a stone wall? Uh, no. <laughs> neither. But I can't imagine that hitting it with your full force would do anything but break your hand. I agree. Yeah, I think that was a poorly executed plan on Angel's side. But Angel's next plan is a doozy. He says, come on, Cyclops, kick him off of you. Yeah, bend your legs underneath you and push him off. Which he does with surprisingly good results. You would think that the juggernaut here, I mean, look at the size of him. He's got to be a good three, 400 pounds of solid muscle. Cyclops says he's lucky he caught him off balance, but I don't know. Maybe the juggernaut slipped. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe he's not as strong as he wants us to believe, huh? <laughs> so then he's charging towards him, and they both attack. Angel hits his head, and Cyclops attacks his knees. But then we go to an airplane where everybody's hearing strange noises in their heads. The professor's crazy beams are hitting all sorts of areas of the city. There's a ham radio club. <laughs> well, no, it's it says... It's the Teen Brigade headquarters, but yeah. What the hell is the Teen Brigade? <laughs> well, it's one of the many Teen Brigade headquarters throughout the East. So what is the Teen Brigade and how come there were so many of them? Is this a 60s thing or is this just a Marvel thing? I don't know. Dear listeners, uh, if you know what a Teen Brigade is from the 60s or have the wherewithal just to do a quick Google, please send us a note and let us know. We, we, would, be, uh, we would love to find out. That's why I switched it over to ham radio, because I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, but that's not what it says on the page. Stick to the page. Next, you'll be writing your own story. All these teenagers are hearing the professor's signal, even though only one of them is on the radio and using the headphones. It's crazy. It's weird. And the next, we flash forward to a uh, courtroom where we see a blind lawyer with red hair who also hears these thoughts. But unfortunately, since he's in the middle of the case, he can't shed his day name of Matt Murdock to become the daredevil. Boy, I had a much better thing planned for that one. But anyways, <laughs> he stays in court and uh, we move on from there. Daredevil cameo. Yep. So the professor is back in the lab. Iceman and Jean Grey are helping him out. Apparently protecting him or something because Iceman's like, Can I go help the others now, sir? <laughs> no! <laughs> no, he actually says, Go ahead, very well, if you must have your fun. Beast comes to help move the professor to a more secure location, but the professor says, No, you go help Iceman, Cyclops, and Angel in delaying the juggernaut. I will keep charging. Gene, remain with me. The professor says, And she says, No, but they might need me. But I love this. Your chance will come, girl. <laughs> I, I have to imagine that any time the X-Men talk to her, they just talk to her like, look, girl, look, woman, you're needed here. In moments of high stress, 
the professor just forgets everybody's name and starts treating them all like shit. Come here, boy. <laughs> Come here, girl. Iceman runs off. He makes a, a, a ice bat. Which the professor criticizes. Look, I would too. I mean, come on. Have you seen this guy? What's your ice bat going to do? So we move forward to a staircase battle with the angel and Cyclops still working on uh, the juggernaut. They appear to be leading him up a set of stairs. I guess so. Yeah. Interesting plan. Maybe he'll fall through the stairs and, and get stuck. <laughs> I don't know, something, I don't know. So uh, it's not working, clearly. The Juggernaut grabs the Angel. The Juggernaut moves a lot faster than they suspect, and he is able to grab the Angel and flip him in front of himself, where Cyclops is still blasting away. He knocks the Angel unconscious. And I think this is the origin of Cyclops's whining about his lack of ability to control his powers. Okay, maybe this is confirmation of his inability to control his powers. Yeah, okay, like there you go. Uh, so, luckily, Warren is merely stunned. Juggernaut and Cyclops, they seem to be having a heated conversation, when <laughs> all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a big ice thing forms underneath the Juggernaut's feet, and he begins to slip. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, Johnny Storm is getting into a brand new racing car that looks like it's from the Jetsons, except it has wheels. He hears the professor's mental powers traveling over the city, Apparently, he recognizes that the professor is saying that he's in trouble, but he doesn't trust the professor. He's paranoid because I guess Reed told him that because Reed and Sue are getting married, he's not really supposed to trust anybody right now. And I love this little uh, thought bubble of the professor <laughs> where he's like fading away and he's like, no, <laughs> Johnny. Jean Grey is really worried about the professor, and the professor's angry. He's hitting his little mento machine because Johnny Storm won't trust his instincts or trust his senses. In one panel, he says, I dare not waste too much mental energy by prolonging the contact in order to convince him. And in the next panel, he says, I must contact him again. <laughs> Even if it weakens me. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's an old man. <laughs> a little, little senile. You know, he looks up at Jean's like, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> Who are you, girl? <laughs> girl! Why are you still here? Oh, I gotta call Johnny Storm. Johnny! Meanwhile, Iceman is once again freezing a villain in a block of ice. He's got a limited bag of tricks. <laughs> yeah, it's very limited. But everybody in the room is like, he's gonna crack out of it. And even Iceman's like, alright, I know he's gonna get out of it, but maybe this will buy us a couple of minutes? And maybe it does. A couple seconds anyways. Juggernaut, needless to say, smashes through it. Yeah, instead of the Juggernaut smashing through it, though, it's his glowy aura-y power that smashes through the ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ice chunks come flying every which way, and one of them hits Iceman. Sweet, delicious irony there. <laughs> and the Iceman falls down. So now it's Beast's turn. Apparently he's been holding himself in reserve just in case he was the last line of defense. Cyclops is resting on the staircase because he's still trying to recharge his power. He's tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Beast starts jumping around, doing his little beast tricks, his little circus maneuvers, and uh, jumps on his back. The professor sends him a telepathic message saying to try to loosen his helmet. It's the only way to defeat him. So they're starting to formulate a little plan here. So the beast jumps up on his head and starts wrenching around on his helmet. The Juggernaut's, what? Uh, you can't take my helmet off. And he throws him. And smashes his leg. I have a problem with this panel. Okay. <laughs> that looks like a hard hit. I would have yeah. to imagine that that leg would have broken. 
it would have been like floppily broken. Not not bones sticking out of skin broken, but just like nasty horror film broken where it's just kind of like dangling there. I'd agree with that if this were a normal man, but this is the beast and this panel is in motion. So Uh the beast is being very maneuverable and manages to take the least amount of damage possible. I mean, he's crawling, so it clearly... Yes, and and, and throughout the rest of the comic book, we realize that he's hurt, but look, if this was like (laughs) the 80s or the 90s where Angel's getting his wings torn off, I mean, this would have done a lot more damage to the beast than just, oh, I'll just walk on my hands now. Boy, does that smart on my leg. Yeah, well, this isn't the 80s or the 90s. (laughs) All right, fine. So uh, Juggernaut goes in for the kill, but Beast gets out of the way, and the Juggernaut crashes into the danger room. Yes, which is a very smart plan on Beast's part. Yeah, definitely. The Beast uh, turns on one of the test simulators and flames come firing out of the Juggernaut. Remember the time in issue two or three or four when Cyclops got trapped in the danger room and it automatically went on? Yes. They fixed that. They did fix it. It was a bug. I mean, clearly after that issue, Cyclops like, look, Professor, we got to talk. You know, <laughs> somebody might accidentally walk into that room and set off the thing. So let's let's put a button in there, okay, to start the simulator. All right, good. Yeah, I'm glad. Just after I finish hiding the components of my Mento helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Juggernaut starts getting hit by various contraptions in the danger room. A fan comes up from the floor, knocking him over. A giant fist comes out of the wall. Oh, I didn't even see the fist. A missile flies right past the juggernaut that was pretty useless (laughs) as you can see from the drawing it's aimed right at him but for some reason decides to it takes advice even it's afraid of the juggernaut yeah it's got to be the aura there you go oh my gosh aura (laughs) some rope shoots out of the floor grabbing him and in the next panel the juggernaut destroys all of it well you forgot the giant barrel that comes out of the wall there's three panels spent on this giant metal barrel it hits his aura and flies back at the beast. The beast is unable to dodge it and knock himself out. Oh my gosh, five panels dedicated to that stupid barrel. <laughs> Six panels if you include where he's knocked out. He's laying there, the metal barrel is next to him, and, and Juggernaut in a classic 60s villain maneuvers like, well, he's out of the equation, I'm going to go kill the rest, and then I'll come back and kill this one. Even though he doesn't use the word kill, that's what's inferred here. I'm going to credit the missiles with still flying around the room and Juggernaut just doesn't want to deal with it right now. All right. That's my theory. Okay. All right. (laughs) Meanwhile, across town, Johnny Storm is driving yet another white sporty looking car. Yeah, I thought it was the same car, but I just realized it's totally a different car. It doesn't have the fins and it's not a um, convertible. It's not as futuristic. No. Although it is futuristic but not as it's 60s future which means it looks old to us but in the 60s probably was like oh my god that is a sweet mobile so as he's driving he's like oh man here's that silly professor again i gotta oh i can't stay away from the fight flame on (laughs) so uh, the professor says uh so like if you were a little leery and nervous about like the potential of what this could mean would the next words you want to hear be when you arrive, you will follow my commands implicitly. There is more at stake than you can imagine. At least he follows it up when there is more at stake than you can imagine. I guess, but in wouldn't you be like, hey man, there's some bad stuff coming, and I know you're kind of distrustful right now, so why don't you come? We'll hang out, play a quick game of checkers, and then we're going to do this thing instead of like... Make you some coffee. <laughs> I'll get Jean to cook you up a nice cake. <laughs> <laughs> After she's done doing the dishes and the laundry. All right, so anyways... 
It is at this point that the professor's brain has now been fortified to the maximum degree. Mm. He has got one heck of a super brain. He's got 1.21 gigawatts in him. <laughs> he takes off his helmet and he says, let's go. We're going to go face this guy. Jean Grey again lifts up the juggernaut telepathically. Apparently she's also saving her powers because as she wheels him towards the juggernaut, she is no longer using her powers to push him, but using her hands. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I wonder if that was on purpose. That's really smart if it was. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but anyways, we can we can pretend that it was. She's just conserving her power. And then the human torch finally arrives. The professor tells him, just start torching him, buddy. Do it. And then the flames don't affect him. So he just says, okay, they don't affect him, but keep circling him in flames just to keep him occupied. The professor mentally contacts Angel, who is, I guess, waking up from his unconsciousness. Well, he was blasted by Cyclops, you know. That's true. So he gets up, he's, he's bleary-eyed and kind of stumbling, but he knows that there's a job, a, a mission to complete here. He staggers to the fight. He doesn't fly because he's reserving his energy. This, this issue is about reserving your energy. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> the professor begins the final phase of his plan. Which, well, the plan has merit. It's just a little sketchy as laid out in these panels. He stops the torch. The torch, he turns on his flash brightness to blind the juggernaut, which I would assume would blind everybody in the room, but it doesn't. Uh, the torch has been working on a special maneuver where he can omnidirectionally project his light. Yeah, it's got it. Okay, so he does that. He's blinded. Yay. And then the professor's like, all right, angel to the air. You get up there and fly around and do some stuff. But my question is, like, the torch flying around the uh, juggernaut's head, was that incorporated or useful in any way? It was just a distraction, I guess. Okay. You need split-second instincts in order to, to do this, Angel, and listen to my command and do it now. And So he has him spin around in a circle, going ever higher so that the juggernaut cannot reach him. And then at the last second, when it's the moment that he can do it, <laughs> somehow, he has Angel dive-bomb juggernaut and rip off his helmet. Just like that. Now, okay, <laughs> now look at this rendering, okay? So in the beginning of the issue, we're told that the helmet was mystically bestowed by the Crimson Bands of Sidorak. But it looks like there's some shoulder and chin straps that have also been ripped off with this helmet. I remember in some further issue that he has screws that the X-Men have to unscrew before they can get the helmet off. That sounds really familiar. <laughs> I mean, this is a tactic that they use time and time again, basically, on the Juggernaut. Yeah, so, yeah, basically. So they use it here, but in one of the first issues that I read, uh, 217 or 218, or 215 and 216, one of the two is with Dazzler, Rogue, and Psylocke, and Longshot were the core team, and Wolverine was like, coming back from a mission, and blah, blah, blah. They had to fight the Juggernaut, and it was Dazzler's like, first real mission with the X-Men. And uh, Rogue sucked off some of his power, and then... Uh, Long shot through some knives underneath his helmet, and then Rogue came and ripped it off, and then Dazzler. No, Dazzler was... It was like a big team effort to get his helmet off. By then, they know how to do it. <laughs> I know. They're like, okay, execute. Now, then they had, like, plan J1. Oh, juggernaut helmet removal. Go! But then he actually had a skull cap, so I'm wondering if that will ever get introduced, or if that's just something that appears. If this was psionically or magically psionically created, uh, it, it's nice that they had some wherewithal to put some chin traps in there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so I can only imagine that the professor was monitoring the psionics, and that's why he had Angel hovering around so high for so long. 
And then it was like when the psionics were at a particularly low area of the spectrum, <laughs> he had angel dive bomb to take it off. Something like that. Or or maybe the professor has like a low level of uh, precognition and, and knew that this moment... Or maybe he's just a control freak. Maybe he's just like, he could do it at any point, but I like the feeling that I can tell him exactly when to do it, and he'll do it then. <laughs> so anyways, the professor looks over at the juggernaut and says, it's over, we could have been friends, we could have been something better, and blasts him with his mental ray, or mental power. The juggernaut falls to the ground and admits his complete and utter hatred for... Professor X, uh, for his entire life, he's always hated the kid and the adult. Because he always wins. Yeah. Pure revenge is what's going on here. If I must taste the bitter dregs of defeat, I'll drag you down with me. But really, it's too late. He works himself up to the professor, and the professor's like, you got nothing, and blasts him. Mind wipe. Mind wipe. So then the juggernaut's laying there, and Johnny Storm is like, Oh, man, look at him. I can't believe you did that. What'd you do to him? And the professor looks at Johnny Storm and says, Mind wipe. Next thing you know, Johnny Storm is flying around the mansion going, What the hell am I doing here? Is that what you wanted me to say? Mind wipe? Yeah, absolutely. Then we flash to my favorite panel. Of all the boys are laid up in their medical beds, and here comes Nurse Jean Grey with milk and cookies, or whatever she's got. She is, in fact, dressed as a nurse. I gotta believe that she is the cook, the housekeeper, the nurse, <laughs> uh, probably goes and buys groceries, and then the professor makes a funny. With his psychedelic eyes in this last panel. Yeah. Are you gonna, are you gonna regale us in the funny? Well, he says, uh, you guys have fought well, and I have something for you after you are up and about. A reward? Professor's like, yeah, yeah, a reward. It's a broom, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Get sweeping. Uh, and everybody laughs. It's one of those freeze frame moments at the end of one of those 70s comedic movies where everybody slaps their legs and then we hold and the credits roll. Ha ha ha. So my question to you, Jeremy. Oh, okay. Why did the professor need to boost up his mental powers using the mento ray? Oh my gosh. Oh, he mind wipes two people. He can do that without it. He knew the... Sp I don't know. He needed all that mental souping up so they could get in contact with uh, the torch. But that was an accident. <laughs> Maybe he just wanted you to think it was an accident. <laughs> He stated it's an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It seems like throughout these comic books, there's been many intensifiers and, well, mainly intensifiers. Both Magneto and Professor X have at least four intensifiers at their disposal. So why does he need another one? I don't know. If they had him use the intensifier to some extent that he couldn't already use his powers, that would be something. But he doesn't do anything after he's done with the intensifier that I would think he normally couldn't do. I, w I would say that my understanding of the professor's abilities, at least in the future, not, not here in the 60s where they're still fleshing his powers out, is that he has kind of a limited radius. I mean, it's not like he can read minds of people across the city, but I mean, certainly people in a concert hall, he could probably hear everybody's minds there or communicate telepathically. But you're right, he wasn't really directing it toward anybody. But, but he does see that, oh, Johnny Storm won't trust his instincts and we really need him. I'm going to call him again. 
Yeah, so maybe he used it to boost his confidence levels or something. I mean, I guess this just says that, like, Johnny Storm doesn't have a telephone or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're the Fantastic Four, for God's sakes. i got to imagine there's, like, a glove compartment phone in one of their cars somewhere. Also uh, of note, on page 17 is the Professor X image where we get our iTunes logo. Oh, nice. All right, then. That's uh, that's the 13th issue, the origin of the juggernaut. Uh, read the letters. Any Anything strike you in the letters column? I did not get to read the letters this okay. time. The letters column were all about issue 11. The only real question, there was a couple of, like, color issues, like, why is the stranger's beard green in panel four of page six? I'm glad people were a- as anal retentive about these things then as, as we are these days. <laughs> There's a lot of those. Uh, but apparently there was a lot of praise for Magneto's kidnapping and then a lot of people saying, oh, this is a travesty. You must bring Magneto back. So hey, comic fans were exactly the same as they used to be. Yep. They don't change. Although one person asked a question that I think I may have asked in this podcast. How does Cyclops raise and lower his visor? <laughs> and the answer is. We don't know yet. Hopefully in the future, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Awesome. So hopefully in a future issue, maybe they will address the visor. Sweet. So yeah, there you go. I, I like this two-part issue. Uh, I mean, as far as, it's still pretty weak, but I think it's uh, stronger than most of the other issues that we've read. I liked how it was set up as like part one was the slow boiler plot developing and then Part two was just the full-on action onslaught. Yeah, and I'll be curious to read the letters column of, uh, I guess, uh, I guess probably next issue to read what people thought about issue 12, because for the most part, all of these X-Men comics have been action every issue, and issue 12 was nothing but exposition, which I thought was pretty cool for the series. Very groovy. So there it is, folks. Go on to iTunes and write us an iTunes review so that people can find the show and know what it's about. Let them know that you like it, that sort of thing. Let them know if you hate it. Let them know if you find it uninteresting or moderately interesting or totally interesting. Well, actually, don't don't tell us if it's uninteresting. You know, if you can't say something nice, then don't say something at all. Only tell us if it's mildly or totally interesting. And uh, visit us at redcapproductions.com forward slash danger room. Email us at danger room at redcapproductions.com. You can go onto the Facebooks and you can search for danger room and join the group page. You can listen to all the podcasts on the Facebook page, too. So if Facebook is your choice for listening at podcasts, then we've got it all hooked up for you. Yep. It's full-featured, man. Full-featured. Center home. All right. Well, until next time, the Danger Room is closed. (laughs) 